Let's start off with a word of prayer. Father, as we come to you this morning on Easter, on a day that is set aside to remember not just your substitutionary death, but your victory over death, your victory over sin, and your resurrection on, on, from the grave, Lord. We, we thank you that we can rejoice in that this morning. We thank you that you are no longer dead, that it wasn't the end, but rather it was the beginning. And Father, I pray that as we look at your word this morning, that we would be encouraged, that we would walk away this morning greater in love with you for what you have done for us. We thank you for your word, and we pray that as we look at it this morning, that your word will impact our lives, that you would be glorified. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. We're going to deviate this morning from John. I know that's kind of sacrilege since we've been going through John for several months now, but we're going to, we're going to go jump back just one book. <clears throat> Sorry. <clears throat> I sing really loud, so my voice is starting to go since we've added more songs this morning. <laughs> that means I'll preach shorter, right? You can hope. We're going to be in Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22, as you can tell, we've laid out and we're planning on uh, sharing together in the Lord's Supper. Uh, yes, we did it last week on our normal time that we normally do Lord's Supper, the fourth uh, Sunday of the month. But here on Easter Sunday, we wanted to remind ourselves again of what Christ has done for us. And we do that typically through the recognition of the Lord's Supper. And here in Luke chapter 22, we have one of the passages that tells us about that first Lord's Supper. We have one of the passages that, that I think is interesting because it, it adds a little something that you don't find in the other passages. And so I just want to read through that and then we'll get into it. We're going to jump around a little bit this morning, um, some into the Old Testament, some into the New Testament, as we look at um, what I believe the Lord has for us this morning. Luke chapter 22, we're going to start reading in verse number 14. And when the hour came, he reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he said, take this and divide it amongst yourselves. For I tell you, from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. We'll stop there. So a very familiar setting, is it not? We've talked about this passage every fourth Sunday in some degree or another, whether it's in Luke or whether it's in Matthew or whether it's in uh, I think it's 2 Corinthians. You know, we, we go over this passage over and over and over again as we remind ourselves consistently what Christ has done for us through his shed blood on the cross, through his broken body. And we, we remind ourselves of these things. And, and I think a lot of times we, we, we go through this ritual, we go through this process, this ceremony, and if we're not careful, it can become just that. It can become a ceremony, a ritual, 
just a, a thing that we do. And we can forget the purpose of it. And so this morning, I want to take a step back. I want to take a step back away from the empty tomb, away from Calvary, back further past the, the, the betrayal in the Garden of Eden, past the hymn that was sung before they left, and come back to the Lord's Supper. Because as we observe the Lord's Supper this morning, as we look at this passage, it's all tied together. What Jesus is doing in this passage and what he's saying in this passage has everything to do with what we celebrate here normally on Easter Sunday, the empty tomb. Because the empty tomb is the beginning of what Jesus is going to talk about very briefly. And we're going to get to that in a second. But, of course, this morning we don't want to forget to engage in one of the the better acts of Easter if you know what I'm talking about. He is risen. Let's try it again. He is risen. There you go. Some of you got it. He is risen indeed. Some of you are going, oh, (laughs) I forgot about that. That's okay. We don't do that every Easter. But he is risen. He is risen indeed. We've just been singing about that. And as, as Andy reminded us, if Christ is not risen, all this is worthless. And yet his resurrection is so important, not just for us as we come here today because we'd be doing something that was a waste of time, but it's important because it opens up for us something that Christ mentions here in Luke chapter 22. He's lying or reclining there at the table. He's just instituted the Lord's Supper. He said, I'm not going to be eating this Passover meal with you because that's what they're celebrating. I'm not going to be eating this Passover meal with you until the kingdom of God has come. Until everything has been fulfilled, I will no longer eat this Passover meal. I will no longer drink of the wine that is part of this meal until that day comes. Until everything is fulfilled. Until everything is made right. And God's kingdom is here. I will no longer do this. And he says, but as often as you do it, remember me. And he gives them the bread. And he reminds them that this is to symbolize his body, which is broken for them. And he gives them the cup. And the words that he says here are interesting. The words that, re- that Luke records, because you don't see these exact words in every presentation of the Lord's Supper. But I think it's really interesting what what Luke writes here. And Paul mentions it in other places as well. It's also mentioned in Hebrews. We're going to look at those as we dig into it this morning. But I I think it's really interesting what Christ says here in Luke chapter 22, right there at the end of the passage that we read. In verse 20, it says, And saying, this, and likewise the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. The new covenant in my blood. Well, what in the world is Jesus talking about? He says, this is the new covenant. Well, if we're going to understand what he's talking about as the new covenant, we need to understand what he's talking about as the old covenant. And so I want to take a quick, very quick journey back through the Old Testament and look at just a few of the covenants that God has made with man. Because I think it's really interesting Um, As you look at these covenants, and then as you look at what Christ is doing here, there's some correlation. All right, so let's go back to the book of Genesis. There you go. Somebody got it. The book of Genesis. 
all the way back to Genesis chapter 9. I can probably get some of the kids up here to tell me to tell us this story. Genesis chapter 9, this is right after what? The flood. Right? Right after the flood. God has just destroyed the entire earth with a flood, a global worldwide flood. Every beast, every man destroyed, except for eight people and two of every animal in a wooden boat for 40 days and 40 nights. That must have been interesting. So they've just been saved. They've just landed there. Everything is drying out. And they've come out of the ark. And they've built these, these altars to God. And they're praising him for their salvation. And starting in verse 8, we read this. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, Behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you. And with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, and every beast of the earth with you, as many as came out of the ark, it is for every beast of the earth. I establish my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood. Never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you. For all future generations, I have set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is, set, is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the waters shall never again become a flood to the clouds, a flood to destroy all the flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. God said to Noah, This is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. So this covenant, God made with whom? Everything. (laughs) He made it with man, and he made it with the birds and the livestock and everything, right? God made this covenant with all of creation that the world would never again be destroyed by a flood. And what did he give us to remember that covenant? Rainbow, right? Every time it rains, eh, not every, but most of the time it rains, what do you see eventually? A rainbow. That's what, he, that's what he just said, right? When the clouds come and the rain, I will see the rainbow and remember my covenant with you. And so he gives us the sign of the rainbow, the sign to remember the covenant that he has made with man never to destroy the earth again by a flood. Let's go ahead just a few chapters to chapter 17. Genesis chapter 17. Anybody know who this guy is? Quit cheating. If I can get mine open, we'll be there. Genesis chapter 17. We're going to read verses 1 through 13. Sorry, we're reading a lot of scripture this morning. I hope that's okay. Genesis 17, 1 through 13. When Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful. I will make you 
and I will, sorry, and I will make you into nations and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession. And I will be their God. We'll stop there just for a second. Notice any correlation between those first two that we talked about? You can raise your hand. It's Sunday morning. It's all right. What? Well, this one's not to everyone. Everlasting, right? What's the first one? Forever and ever, I will never destroy the earth again. With a flood, right? Here's another one. Everlasting. I will make an everlasting covenant with you and your descendants. Right? I will be their God. All right, let's keep reading. And God said to Abraham, as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their, gener- their generations. This is my covenant which I shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh, and it shall be for a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not of your offspring. Both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh an everlasting covenant. So the first covenant, we have a symbol. He says, here's my bow in the sky. When you look at that, remember the covenant that I have made with all flesh. Right? And then he says to Abram, here's a covenant that I have for you, Abram. I am going to make you the father of many nations. Your children are going to be vast. Kings are going to rise from your, from your children. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to be your God. I'm going to give you the land that you've been living in. It will all be yours. All this is promised. And I'm going to give you a ceremony to remember this covenant. I'm going to give you a medical procedure to remember this covenant. And every man that was born as a descendant of Abraham then went through this process. And every time they did it, it was a reminder of the covenant that God had given to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob down through the generations. So we have a symbol of the rainbow. We have a ceremony of the circumcision. Now, probably the next big one that I could think of comes in Exodus chapter 34. Exodus chapter 34. We're going to kind of jump a little bit in this passage. <clears throat> I won't make you sit through all 28 verses. We're going to start verses 1 through 4, then we'll jump down to verse 27. Exodus chapter 34. If you're familiar with the, with the context, Moses and the children of Israel have been freed from Egypt. They are at Mount Sinai. They've been camped there. Moses has gone up to receive the law of God. He's gone up to understand how God wants them as His chosen people, as His covenanted chosen people, to live. How He wants them to worship Him. And so, He's, he's up there on the mountain, and we see here in the verse, first verse, the Lord said to Moses, Cut 
for yourself two tablets of stone, like the first. If you remember, God gave him two tablets of stone. He went back down to the people, and what did he do? He broke them. Why? Anybody remember? Yeah, because they had built the golden calf. They were worshiping a false god. And, and Moses, in his anger, took the two tablets that God had given him and broke them as he, uh, as he cursed the people. So he says, just like the first, and I, and I will write on the tablets the words that you were, the words that were on the first tablets, which you broke. Be ready by the morning and come up in the morning to Mount Sinai and present yourself there to me on top of the mountain. No one shall come up with you and let no one be seen throughout all the mountain. Let no flocks or herd graze opposite that mountain. So Moses cut two tablets of stone like the first, and he rose early in the morning and went up on Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him. And he took in his hands two tablets of stone. And then we read that, if you want to continue reading, we're going to jump down to verse 27. Maybe. My pages are sticky this morning. God goes through and he gives Moses the very basics of the law. He gives him the Ten Commandments. Look at verse 27. And the Lord said to Moses, Write these words for in accordance. For in accordance with these words, I have made a covenant with you and with Israel. So he was there with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights. He neither ate bread nor drank water. And he wrote on the tablets the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. The words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. God gave the people of Israel a lot of laws. All you have to do is read through the next couple books, (laughs) and you can see all the things that God gave them, the sacrifices, the ceremonies, everything that was wrapped up in serving and worshiping God. There's a lot. But he gave them two tablets, two stone tablets, each with five commands. Ten Commandments. And it's interesting, he calls them what? The tablets of the covenant. See, God gave these ten commands to remind them of this covenant that he had with Israel. This covenant that he makes here with Moses, that he will be their God if they will obey his law. If they will obey his law. See, God's God's. Uh, covenant with all of the earth was unconditional. He said, I make this with the whole entire earth. I will never again make a flood that, that devours the earth. His, his covenant with Abraham was somewhat conditional. We didn't read this part, but basically, if you didn't follow the instructions, you were out. <laughs> all right? So every, every male child that was born was circumcised, or they were out. They were ostracized. They were not part of the people of Israel. And here we have the law. His covenant with Israel from the time of Moses. And this covenant is very much conditional. Because here God is laying out for them what he expects of his people. How they should live. And even in just those Ten Commandments that were simple, that were easy to memorize, that were chiseled out into two tablets of stone so that they could see them, they ended up putting them where? Anybody know? What? In the Ark of the Covenant, right? Another covenant word, right? And and where did that go? 
That went in front of Israel. Everywhere they went, everywhere they went, they saw the Ark of the Covenant leading them. They, they knew inside there were these two tablets, these ten commandments that were a reminder of the covenant that God had made with them that if they obeyed the law, they would be blessed. But yet, they couldn't because they're just flesh. They could not fulfill even just the ten commandments. Those simple words that probably many of the children here even have memorized. Easy to memorize, easy to remember written down in stone for them. Simple commands. And yet, their covenant with God could not be kept. And therefore, their relationship with God, even as His chosen people, were broken. And they are sinners. And it is in that state that we find ourselves, even as Jesus is eating with these men at this table, as He's sharing with them the bread, and as He's passing around the wine, and he says to them these words, this is the blood of the new covenant. See, he knew that just a few hours from that time, he was going to be betrayed. In fact, we stopped right before he announces it, but he's, he's getting ready to announce, I'm going to be betrayed. And the person who's going to be, be, betray me is going to dip his hand in the cup with me here. And it's, it's always boggled my mind that they didn't even get it when Judas put his hand in there. Have you ever looked at that? But he, he knows, he says, he even tells them, this is the last time before I suffer. He knows what he's about to do and he's telling them, look, everything that is about to happen, you need to do this to remember, not just me. This isn't just me saying, hey guys, don't forget me. That's not what this is about. This is about the new covenant that I am going to start with you because I'm going to finish the old covenant. I'm going in just a few hours to go and be beaten and be tried and be lied about. I'm going to go and be nailed to a cross and I'm going to hang there for hours and I'm going to take upon myself the sin of the world And God the Father is going to turn his back on me and I will know what separation from God is like for you. I am going to do that. And then I'm going to die. And when I die, that covenant that you could not keep with God that was given to you at the time of Moses, that covenant will be complete because my blood that is shed, it will pay the price that is necessary to complete. But that's not the end. Today we rejoice in what happens next. Not merely because Jesus is still alive. Yes, that's great. But it's because of what his resurrection symbolizes for us. It symbolizes that new covenant. What is that new covenant? Well, if you've been following along in John, you've probably heard some words about the new covenant. Can anybody tell me some of the things that are part of the new covenant that Christ has said? Nobody's been paying attention to John. All right. Anybody? Eternal life. That's the big one, right? John 3. He tells Nicodemus, I have come to give eternal life. Whoever believes in me will not perish, but have eternal life. Right? He says, I am here to give eternal life. He just said it in our last chapter, chapter 11. He just called himself the resurrection and the life. 
He also said, I've come to give life and to give it how? Abundantly. Right? The covenant that God is making with us, with those who have believed in Jesus Christ, is a covenant of everlasting. See, it wasn't just enough for Christ to complete the covenant that was a covenant of death. His blood also instigated a covenant of life. It gave us not just a completion of a covenant, but a new covenant. I want to look quickly at just a couple of passages. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We're going to actually read the whole chapter. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. I love Paul's writings. Maybe it's because I'm kind of a technical person. But Paul, write, Paul writes some technical things. But let's read this passage. It's a little lengthy, but... Am I in the wrong passage? Sorry, 2 Corinthians. Here we go. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendations to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter of recommendation, written on our hearts to be known and be read by all, and you show that we are a letter from Christ, delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, on tablets of human hearts. Such is the confidence that we have thought, have through Christ towards God, not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us competent to be ministers of what? Of a new covenant. Not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Now if the ministry of death carved in letters on stone came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all, because the glory that surpasses it. For if what is being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold, not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end, but their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, the same veil remains unlifted, because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts, but when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. There's a lot in there. I could probably preach three different sermons on that passage. Super high-level gist. The covenant on the tablets was a covenant of death. But the covenant of the cross is a covenant of life. And when Jesus Christ rose again the third day as we celebrate here on Easter morning, He not only was just victorious as God, but He was opening up to us life. Everlasting life. 
He was opening up to us freedom from sin. Did you catch that in that passage? He was opening up to us the opportunity to live the way that we never could on our own through the Spirit. This new covenant is a covenant of life. Jump into Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews mentions the new covenant several times as it's a a comparison or a contrast of Christ with many other types or offices in in the rest of Scripture, specifically the Old Testament. And so we see the new covenant mentioned several times, but I want to look at chapter 9, verses 11 through 15. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal Redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance, since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. Christ is speaking to these men as he reclines, as he passes around the bread and the wine, and he's telling them not just to create a ceremony, not just to give us a symbol to look back on, not just a command for us to do every so often, but he's giving them something to help them understand and remember the new covenant. Every time we come to the table is a reminder, not just that Jesus came to earth and that he died and that he rose again. It's not just that. The Lord's Supper is a reminder, yes, of the actions of Christ, but it's a reminder of what they bring us. They bring us. They bring us the opportunity for everlasting life. The ending, the closing of the covenant of death and the beginning of a covenant of eternal life. Yes, the Lord's Supper is a somber time. It is one that we are called to come to carefully. Paul tells us that when we come, we should not come unworthily. That we should not come with sin in our hearts. That we should not come flippantly as if it's just another meal. There is an importance and a sacredness to the Lord's Supper. But it's not just a somber time. It is also a time of rejoicing. Because as we look at these elements, and as we partake of these elements, as we think about what Christ said, this is the blood of the new covenant. He's opening the door for every one of us to live forever. Is that not a joyous thing? And when Jesus Christ on Easter morning rose from the grave, conquering sin and death and hell, it was not just to close the old covenant. It was to open for us life, eternal 
life. And not just eternal life, but abundant life. Life here on this earth. I didn't mention it, but back in that 2 Corinthians passage, did you catch there's another nuance to that? He is changing us from glory to glory. It's not just about our life in the future. It's about our life now. It's about making us more like himself. That's the covenant that we have. Not just a covenant of death, where if we fail, we've failed it and we've lost it, which we all have. Romans tells us that. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. It's not just a covenant of death, but because of what Christ did on the cross, because of what we remember this morning, and because of his resurrection from the dead, it's a covenant of joy and life and change. Let us rejoice this morning as we look and remember the covenant that God has given to us. Father, we thank you that even while we are your enemies, you loved us. Lord, there is nothing that anyone in here could ever do to save themselves. We are all wicked. We are all fleshly. And Lord, there's no righteousness in ourselves. And we thank you that Christ loved us enough to come to earth, to be the perfect example of how we should live, so that he could be the perfect sacrifice to pay for our debt. Father, there's no words that we can say that would express the depths of our gratitude. We love you for it. We thank you that you loved us first. And Lord, we thank you for the empty tomb. We thank you that it was not just a a show of power and not just a, a closing of an old covenant, Lord, but we thank you that it has opened to us life. It's open to us a future that we can look forward to spending eternity with you. And Lord, I pray that if there is someone even here this morning who is not sure that if they died today that they would spend that eternity with you. Lord, if there's someone here that doesn't understand what we've been talking about, doesn't understand who you are, doesn't understand what you did for them, I pray that they would contact us, that they would find out that we would have the opportunity to show them who you are, how much you loved us by sending Christ to die for us. We thank you for that, Lord. I pray that as we come to a close here in the next few minutes, as we celebrate Christ through communion, I pray that we would be focused on you. I pray that while it is a solemn time, that we would also be joyful as we remember your body and your blood broken and bleeding for us to pay our debt and to give us life. We thank you for that. In Christ's name we pray.